Welcome to episode number 10 of the Four Animals for Earth podcast. Today I'm talking to Dr. Monisha Seth in Orlando, Florida. The simple action that we can take after today's episode is to start small by fundraising for our local shelter. So why should we do this? Well, most of us would probably actually be surprised by how big of a difference we could make by doing this one thing in our local community. For today's show notes, go to fouranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 10. Hi there, this is Brandy, and you're listening to the Four Animals for Earth podcast. This is a space where we inspire each other to take small steps every day to live a more conscious life, helping animals and the planet while we do it. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all take a deep breath and let's get started. There was a time when it was mainly our friends and family that were supporting our events. And I, then I think there was a, like three years ago, there was some sort of turning point where the people who are attending our gala, I didn't know half of them. And I was like, wow, this is really wonderful. That was Dr. Monisha Seth. She is the founder of Franklin's Friends, which is a nonprofit in Central Florida that gives grants to shelters or rescue groups that have a project that they need help with. What I love about Dr. Seth's story is that it's so applicable to so many of us who want to make a difference but maybe can't open an animal rescue right now or don't know exactly where to start to try to help. So she walks us through where she started all the way to where she's at now. And she shares advice for anyone who wants to start an animal welfare nonprofit. I hope that you will learn something new today. Let's dive in so funny it's awesome that you guys are you know parents to like three to four dogs at any given time i love it yeah i love it yeah well um, if you think about it two isn't that much more than one and three isn't that much more than you still have to feed them and let them out and you know bathe them and take them to the vet so you know we've been talking well we is a loose term i have been talking about can't we foster a third one you know and, and sean's like no we cannot but i don't know i'm slowly working on it but like yeah why not one more yeah, you might be able to convince them yeah so anthony is um anthony is your husband for you know yeah. anyone who doesn't know um so he grew up with the mentality of rescuing dogs is that right so not always actually when he was a kid he had they definitely had some dogs some breeders and then actually his dad um started wanting to rescue great danes in specific and so he had a purebred great dane and then he decided you know why we should rescue them so his dad actually has been uh kind of led that movement but it wasn't all his life i think his dad started rescuing dogs when he oh uh, gosh when anthony was like maybe 16 so so it was later in his life, but um, he really championed that. And so, um, and I think all along, Anthony had thought, why are we getting dogs from breeders and stuff like that? But his parents just that's where they were getting them. Um, so I think that he kind of saw that in an early, an early place in his life. And then his dad championed that. And then it just seemed like the right thing 
and is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think that still to this day, so many people don't even realize that you you could go someplace other than with the breeder. You know, it's just the, yeah, the, and they don't re- they don't realize that all the, you know there's all different breeds in the sh- in the shelter, and there's even breed specific rescues. So okay, let's say you're hell bent on having a great Dane or a German Shepherd or whatever it is. There's probably a local breed specific rescue there that only takes in those dogs, and you'd be shocked. At this, you know, even at just at the Humane Society, there's every size, shape, and, you know, type of animal. I'm sure certain breeds are, are overrepresented, but you can find pretty much whatever you're looking for. And at least here, there's a website called petfinder.org and all the local rescues post their pets there. So you can search, like, I need a 25 mile radius from Orlando, Florida. I want a female dog over the age of two, you know, that looks looks, I mean, it's not going to be probably pure bread, but it looks like a beagle and kind of come with papers, but, and you can, you know, find, you know, find them and you can specify good with kids, good with other dogs, good with cats. Yeah. You know, so pet finder is, is something we have around here too. I'm guessing it's kind of everywhere and maybe it's national. I I think it is. I think, okay. I guess so. Cause otherwise why would they ask your location? Right. That makes yeah, sense. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, like if you're willing to do a little bit of a drive, you know, my sister wanted like a little poodle mix and she drove, I want to say maybe it was nine hours, but up into Canada and she found like this perfect little dog that she wanted, you know, and she was able to rescue it. So like you said, I think that if you're willing to kind of look around and hunt, you're able to find kind of your perfect match for sure. I think so. I yeah. think so too. Yeah. So was going in, going into the shelter with Anthony when you guys adopted Franklin, was that your first experience in doing something to help animal welfare? Yep, that was my first experience with the whole shelter world. And, you know, at the time we were doing something for us, not really for animal welfare. I mean, the motivation was we wanted a dog. We wanted a family member. Um, so I think that, you know, he knew that it was we were also helping a dog. And I knew we were also helping a dog, but I don't know that we can fully say that that was our motivation. But then shortly after we adopted Franklin, um, what was then the SPCA of Greater Orlando had a dog walk. It was called Wiggle Waggle Walk. And Anthony was like, you know, we should walk in that walk for this organization. Franklin might, you know, be dead. Um, you know, he might have had to been euthanized. He might have just had not had a place to wait for us to find him. And so we put together a little team. It was like five people. We raised like $500. It was not much at all. And we were horrified because we won the top fundraising team. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we didn't even try. And we were the top team that's like, you know, terrible, pretty terrible. So we said, you know, like next year, we're going to be more organized. And we were and we raised, I don't know exactly how much money, but several, several times in that. And each year we kind of got bigger and, um, and we called our, you know, our walk team was Franklin's friends. And that's how the name started. And our walk team got kind of bigger and more organized. And we even, you know, the the SPCA gave us a credit card machine so we could accept credit card donations on their behalf. And we um, we got we got to be really, really, you know, a big team. 
and we were raising lots of money and we were raising, you know, $60,000 um, for, like, for their walk. And then we decided that we really wanted to be able to raise money for more than just one organization. Well, that organization obviously will always have a special place in our heart. Um, they're a big organization with you know paid employees. Um, they have their own director of development. They have a lot of ways to fundraise. And we still do help them. Um, and, but we wanted to be able to help some of the smaller organizations too that are all volunteer and don't have some of those resources. So that's when we incorporated and uh, became a 501c3 nonprofit. And we uh, kind of started doing our own events. So we um, do a dog walkathon Halloween in October as a dog walk and a canine costume contest. And we do our Unleashed Unframed, Uncorked Unframed Gala um, in May, which is the cocktail attire gala. Those are our two primary events. We do some smaller events through the year as well. And then we have a grant application process, so local nonprofit and government agencies can apply for our funds. All of our um, all of our donations are restricted to our three kind of mission pillars, which are shelter, rescue, spay neuter, and community education. Um, so they go to specific grants that, that are directed to those areas. And uh, we, it's a pretty rigorous process. We got our applicants both for veterinary care and for financial um, responsibility. So we make sure that our donors' dollars are going to a good place. Um, and we require monthly reporting so that we make sure that our dollars are going to the specified um, purpose. So if you say you're going to you, you know, use $2,500 to spay your 50 animals, um, we get the bills and show how our funds have been applied so that we make sure that they're being utilized correctly. Yeah, wow. So how long will a, um, from the time that you give a grant until they are, they've, they've kind of completed what they wanted to do with it? You know, is that, does it range all the way from a couple of months to years or on average, how long does that process usually take for the groups? So we advise them to apply for an amount of money that will be spent in no less than, no, no more than a year. So they have to spend our funds within the year because otherwise they're basically, you know, sitting on money that we could be using for something else. And, you know, if we give them a smaller grant and another one in the next year. So our goal is about a year. Sometimes they, you know, have a really difficult medical case or something that uses more funds than they would have anticipated. And so they go through them sooner. Um, but they have to, if it's been more than a year since they submitted an application, they have to submit a new application to get more funds. So for instance, uh, an organization this year spends our funds in eight months. So they are eligible to ask us for more funds based on their initial applications as it's eight, eight months ago. And if we have them, we can give it to them, but it will only be enough money to, they would have to spend that in the next four months so that when the year comes up, they have to submit a new application because things change, you know, finances change, executive directors change, and we want to make sure that our, our, the organizations continue to meet our criteria. Hmm. I love how tight your criteria are. You know, I love how, they're so specific and you know that if you are giving your money to a group you know it's being used for what basically for helping animals 
Um, right. Was it always that way or did it evolve into that? No, it's always been a very rigorous process. Um, we want, you know, we feel like we're kind of like the United Way for animal welfare, for local animal welfare. And so we want our donors to know every dollar they give us, number one, we're not spending a lot of money on administrative. We're all volunteer. We have no paid staff at all. Um, so we're not spending money on administrative things. We don't have a lot of overhead. So the majority of every dollar you give to us goes directly to the animals, minus, of course, some minimal expenses. And that you're helping kind of all of Central Florida Animal Welfare because any rescue organization that has a 501c3, any spay neuter organization that has a 501c3 can apply for a grant. And so you're not just picking one, you're picking you know, multiple and you and they're being revetted every year. Mm. Yeah, I, I really love that. And I really think that that probably has a lot to do with why you've been able to be so successful in helping Central Florida, you know, because as donors, you know, we know we can trust you. And then, like you said, you're, you're able to get into all these smaller groups that I think at least speaking for myself, we want to help, but you, when it's a small group, you don't really know, are they legitimately helping animals, you know? So it's, you really filled kind of a gap um, that was there, it seems. We think there's still room to grow there. We still think a lot of rescues or organizations don't know about us and they don't know to apply for funds. Unfortunately, some of the um, some of the organizations don't keep good books or any books. And so they can't apply for funding because we have to be able to evaluate it. Um, and so, but I also think that we help some of the rescues grow or some of the organizations grow that way. Um, for instance, an organization called Sophie Circle applied for us and they did, they basically didn't have books. And we said, you know, we, we can't, and you know, you can't, you're excluding yourself from being able to apply for so many other grants by not having books. Well, you know, come back to us with books next year and would be you know happy to review them and they hired an accountant and they started you know not just throwing their receipts into the passenger seat of the car and got their books together and they now have received a few grants from us so um you know and i feel like we helped them to become a better organization not just for us but for one for themselves and two you know to apply for other grants so i think sometimes the rescues they just get so their hearts in the right place and all they care about is getting that dog pulled from the kill shelter and saving the dog that they don't think about saving receipts and keeping things in order and you know that kind of thing and so um, I think sometimes that passion precludes them from staying organized but you know honestly it, it doesn't have to be we don't need QuickBooks we just need a spreadsheet you know just keep somewhere where you keep track of your finances so we know number one they you know what you're doing with your money and number two that um you know that you just stay organized so yeah what a neat story that's that's so awesome that that they were able to do that and you know and be able to yeah like you said grow just by it, it's 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 interesting because it makes me think how a lot of times things can grow 
by working with other people. And, and I know mm -hmm. that you mentioned back in the beginning, you started with like a little tiny team of five people. How long ago was it that you went from, you know, that first walk uh, to now or until you kind of turned into to what you are now? And I'm curious also if you could talk a little bit about whether there has been an impact of having multiple people involved on helping you be successful or not. So we started in 2003, that was the five people. And then when we were just walking as a team, our team grew, I think to like, I don't know, like 60 people walking, but it was a lot easier then because all we really did is raise money and then show up for the walk. So we weren't having to put on events and things like that. So it was more of a social thing. So I think when we finally got a board of directors and incorporated and that kind of thing, I think that's when we really started. And all the, everybody on our board is a volunteer. And we drew from people who were on, walked on the team, but people who did more than just show up and walk, who actually fundraised or who had a skill, like an internet skill or, you know, something like that. But these are all pretty much people. I mean, we have some new members, but when we first started, it was people who had been with us from the beginning. So that they knew the story, they knew the passion, and they all had the passion to, um, to make it grow. And I think that that board of directors, that core board is the, uh, is that group of people that has really helped us to grow. And, you know, with one board member, you, you know, three levels of separation, you bring in all these other people. Um, and so I think there was a, there was a time when it was mainly our friends and family that were supporting our events. And I, then I think there was a, like three years ago, there was some sort of turning point where the people who are attending our gala, I didn't know half of them. And I was like, well, this is really wonderful. I, you know, these are all new people that we're bringing in, you know, because your friends and family are going to join anyways, they're going to support you anyway, but to bring in new people and then new volunteers with different skill sets, that's just kind of grown exponentially. And I would say over the past three years, we've just hit a point where it's wonderful. Um, sometimes we even have too many volunteers at events, um, but having the, you know, loyal volunteers that you know their skill set you know they're going to be at the event doing x y and z or in between events you know you can rely on so and so to go pick up auction items for you it's you know it's little things or even i mean had somebody we keep our auction envelopes in these hanging file folders right and i needed to put this clear tabs in the 100 file folders and i was thinking this is not a great use of my time and I have a volunteer who loves anything she can do in front of the TV. She's retired. She just likes to sit in front of her TV. And she says, if I don't have something to do. I'll just drink wine. So I, she, <laughs> so she put the tabs into the file folder. She picked them up from my office one day. A couple days later, dropped them back off. And I was like, this is wonderful. You know, this frees up my time to do something, you know, different that I wouldn't otherwise have had time to do. So. I think our volunteer base is really what makes us successful. That's that's amazing because I know that it can be extremely difficult for groups to find volunteers who are dependable and you know show up and yeah. continue to show up. Yes. We're lucky to have a good partnership with a couple of local um, volunteer organizations or local 
organizations. So UCF, University of Central Florida, has a pre-veterinary society. There's students that are going to be applying to vet school, and they need like to have community service hours that are animal welfare related. So they always like to volunteer for our events. And then UCF also has a volunteer UCF organization that has a branch that is just for animals. And so they always love to um, volunteer for our events. You know, the unfortunate thing is that the college students graduate and then they go somewhere, but having them for four years, especially some of the strong ones that volunteer over and over is really nice. And you get to know, you know, sometimes it's, you know, get to know some of them that are really strong. And then at the actual event, they may bring people that you don't know and you're not exactly sure where to you know, plug them in and so but you know there are always areas you need man, just manpower <laughs> and so that's really nice so you you raised you hit the million dollar mark i'm trying to remember maybe two years ago of a million dollars maybe sooner or later but a million dollars raised for central florida animal welfare i wonder if you can talk a little bit about some of your favorite, I guess, projects that that money has gone into? So that's really hard to say. So three years ago was our one and a, was our one million mark, and we're actually at 1.6 million now. So it took us, I think, 12 years to get the first million, but I think we'll get the second million a lot faster. So that's good news. Um, so the projects, it's so hard because the ones that really stick with you are the ones that are like great stories of a really sick dog that you helped. But then on the other hand, you have to think, so, you know, we spay neutered, 500 dogs, like think, or cat dogs and cats, like think how much of that helps the, you know, the population, the pet population. We've been able to see direct impact of spay neuter programs lead to decreased intake into the shelters, and that's really nice to see um, because really we, the shelter rescued the, the you know, the pet that's found in the, the trash dumpster thrown away and abandoned, and then now it has a happy home. You know that tugs at your heartstrings. That's that's wonderful, but our real goal is to eliminate that problem, eliminate the problem that there are shelter pets that need homes um, so that the public is educated about spay neuter, that every dog is spayed and neutered, every cat is spayed and neutered. We don't have a feral cat situation or, you know, that kind of thing so that the shelter rescues aren't needed. I mean, it's, it's, that's our vision. Um, it's probably not going to be a reality, but, um, you know, we really want to move towards that. And that's why we have not only the shelter rescue, but the spay neuter and the community education pillars um, in our mission because we want kids to learn at a young age that dog fighting is not okay, that you need to spay neuter your pet, that you don't need to go to a breeder to buy an animal, um, that, you know, all that kind of thing. And education about the whole trap, neuter, and release effort to, we have a huge feral cat problem here, and, you know, it just grows exponentially. And we know that, you know, in the past, unfortunately, that the approach has been trap and euthanize, and that just doesn't work because the ones that are out there are still reproducing. And they don't need to be euthanized. You know, they can live out their lives. They just can't reproduce or else we can't keep up with it. So um, I think there's a lot of efforts towards that. And, you know, I think, again, everybody everybody loves the stories of the, the cat that was saved, the dog that was saved, that hit by a car, you know, all these, these stories. But I think what gives us the biggest um, sense of responsibility and sense of joy is knowing that we're trying to make efforts to help prevent future animals from being in that situation. Mm. Yeah, that that makes a huge difference. And it's it's crazy. I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but you see them all the time, you know, spaying or neutering one animal prevents like 25 from being born or something like that. I'm sure I'm getting those numbers wrong, but it's incredible. Yeah, it, it is incredible. And again, it's just exponential. One, one neutered cat uh, can prevent, you know, 
hundreds of future kittens. So, because mm. when you look down the line, that cat has seven kittens, those seven kittens have seven kittens each, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, you know, ongoing. And, um, and so the, the, the trap neuter release effort has really been um, furthered a lot here recently on a lot of programs. We have a couple of TNR grants. Um, we also do fix-a-thons, so like the first 500 dogs to uh, dogs and cats to apply get a $5 surgery um, for their spay-neuter, and we're able to work with some of our partners on that. Um, and again, of course, we do, do, do still have the shelter rescue part with rescues that are pulling dogs and cats from high-kill shelters and rehoming them and vetting them, and that's a lot of what we do, but we really um, want to focus on those other things as well. We think it's important, and it's not as glamorous necessarily, and it's kind of behind the scenes, but it's so important. When you when you talk about a couple of the the TNR projects, I wonder uh, just for me because I don't know a lot about how this works. What kinds of things are you funding? Like, what specific things are they doing? You mentioned the fixathon. So is that just communicated to the public? So the fixathon is for is primarily for it's for owned dogs and cats. So they have a dog and cat for whatever reason it's not fixed they maybe can't afford to take it to the regular vet and then yes that's just advertised through so spay and save is one of our partners they advertise it mainly through their social media and we advertise it through our social media and website and um then people and you know sometimes veterinarians even help us advertise it because they'd rather that the cat gets spayed somewhere than um not at all but then the feral cat effort is primarily um they do what are called mass trappings. So they identify feral cat colonies. So let's say your neighborhood has feral cats. Somebody's feeding them. We They come in and they trap the cats. The idea is to trap many at once um, so that the entire colony is um, fixed. And then they take them, there's a few There's a few places, but there's, um, so Pet Alliance of Greater Orlando has a low-cost spay neuter clinic where one day a week they're dedicated to feral cats and we fund those surgeries. And then, so they trap them, they neuter them, and then they release them. And it's very important they go back to the same colony where they came from or else there's um, there's problems in their, their re-socializing. Um, and they tip their ear so that they're identified as being sterilized. So when I come across this, a feral cat, I know, okay, he's already been fixed because his ear's tipped. Um, so it's been very effective um, in reducing um, reducing the feral cat colony size, but there's so many of them that they just we just really need to you know to get out there. And then there's a smaller organization um, that the Way Home, who also does um, not quite so big, so maybe not a hundred cat trappings at once, maybe like twenty five cat trappings at once. And um, they're all volunteer, and they have a vet that they use that does it low cost for them, and they just take them in, get them fixed, return them to their colony. Hi there, we are jumping out of the conversation for just a quick minute so that I can tell you thank you for being here. I truly, truly appreciate your listening and it makes me excited to know that you're interested in making a difference, you know, for animals or the earth too. I put together a book called 50 Simple Ideas and it's filled with 50 simple ideas to make a difference for animals or for the earth. It's a combination of different ideas that are on our website now as well as input from interviews for the show and just other ideas I came up with. I have it available for you for a free download over on my website. You can get to that at bit.ly slash 50 simple ideas. So that's bit.ly slash five zero simple ideas. I hope you'll grab a copy and I hope you'll tell me if you try something and um, 
like it. <laughs> so let's go ahead and wrap up our show now with a simple idea. I usually like to wrap these interviews up with one simple idea. And I think that a lot of people that I have spoken to over the years want to start nonprofits to help animals. And sometimes I think it can seem impossible. You know, I think if someone's listening to us talk, it may seem like, oh my gosh, I could never get to that point, you know, with my nonprofit. And I wonder what advice you would give somebody as just a simple first step to starting on a path that may lead you to starting a nonprofit that really makes a difference in your own community. Do you have any ideas for anybody? So I do. I have a bunch of thoughts regarding that. <laughs> so first of all, the actual creation of the nonprofit is not a big deal. It's easy. You use it, you know, you incorporate and then you get the book of God creating a nonprofit for dummies and you follow their instructions to the T and you're done. Um, we were approved the first time we submitted our application. Um, what I would say is that if you're thinking about starting a nonprofit, the first thing to do is to question whether or not there's not a nonprofit out there already that's doing what you want to do that you can partner with. I think we have, um, if you have a unique idea, so there is not another organization like Franklin's Friends in Central Florida. So it's a unique idea. But if you want to start a rescue, we see this all too often. There's like 500 little tiny small rescues. And if they would put their, all their resources together and one person has a great account and one person has a great event center, one, they would work together. They could do so much more. So I think really pooling resources. And so if there's something out there that already exists and you want to partner with them, I think that is a great first step. If you have a unique idea, by all means, it's, it, it is not hard to do. You just need commitment and you need people to support you. And, um, you know, you have to have a core group. I would say if you have a core group of five people who are committed to the mission, that you can go forward. Also, I think that a lot of um, times, and one of the reasons there are so many nonprofits, unfortunately, is that people let their internal politics get in the way of the mission. Um, people want to be in charge and be the leader, and they don't like how somebody else is doing things. And I think we've been so lucky to be able to avoid any of that because I think we're all just passionate about the mission and we just don't have we don't have time for, you know, for politics. And luckily the personalities that we brought on board are such that, you know, we each realize our strengths and our weaknesses and we really just want to work together for the good of the mission. So I think if, you know, you're starting a nonprofit because you want to be in charge, that's not the right reason to start a nonprofit. If you're starting a nonprofit because again, you have a unique idea or niche that you is not filled in your community, then I think that is absolutely the right thing to do. And, you know, you don't have to be a, huge nonprofit. You can have a nonprofit that has a $10,000 or $5,000, you know, annual operating budget. But if you feel like you're making a difference, um, if, or if, you're, if you are making a difference, then you don't have to be huge. So I think that just, you know, setting realistic goals, you know, what, what can you do? You know, you know, you personally can donate $5,000 to the, to the cause each year or making that number up. And you think that you can get your friends and family to chip in another $5,000 and set goals for $10,000. If somebody else steps up and gives you another 10 grand, that's great. But set your goals, you know, realistically and uh, make sure you have the resources in place to, to achieve those goals because there's nothing more upsetting than having a goal and not meeting it. So I think meeting, having realistic goals and if you, if you 
exceed that, then that's great that you feel, you feel wonderful, but at worst you'll meet your goal and, um, you know, you'll, you'll feel, feel good about it. And it's very rewarding. Um, but again, I just, you know, make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Make sure that niche isn't already filled that you can't just partner with somebody who's already working to, to that end and help, help that organization be bigger and better. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I think a theme that I've heard throughout our entire conversation for you is the partnering and, you know, that idea of so much more can happen when you are working together with other people. And I think that's a theme, obviously, all the way across animal welfare, all around the world. The more that we can find people who align with our mission and goals and values, the more we can do. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, we would, we would welcome anybody who wants to help us to help us um, in support of, of the mission. And I think, yeah, you have to work together because each of us has our resources, our strengths, our weaknesses, our um, contacts. And if we pull that together, you know, you can really conquer everything. And that's all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please consider hitting subscribe, rating or reviewing us, telling a friend, any or all of the above truly make a difference. The more people we can reach, the more people I can find to interview and the bigger impact we can make together. Keep an eye on your feed. We'll be back soon with the next episode. Thanks. Bye.